Before we uh, start the message this morning, it's a message that comes primarily from the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet that was uh, set apart to a special work for God at a young age. And he went through one of the most beautiful and memorable experiences in the Bible where he had this vision where he saw the throne of God. And throughout his ministry, he wrote, uh, he, he spoke on God's behalf, and he wrote uh, many messages that, thank God, have been preserved and have been included in the Bible for our encouragement. And one of these messages comes from the chapter 40 of the book of Isaiah, verses 1 to 5. Please bow your heads as we ask God's direction upon this message today. Father, we once again thank you for the privilege you give us to be here. Thank you for this opportunity and help us, Lord, to be able to focus and get a message that will be coming from you this morning. We ask, Lord, that any distraction, anything that might be pulling us away in our thoughts from this place, that you give us, Lord, peace and comfort, that we'll be able to focus and to listen to the message. We ask for every person who came here, Lord, uh, with some burden, well, with any concern that they may have. We ask for anyone who is here, Lord, suffering physical ailments. We believe that you are powerful and we trust, Lord, that you can help us all, that we may have uh, a good time here together that the message that will come from the Bible will be soothing to our body and to our spirits. We ask, Lord, that you may use me as your instrument. I'm simply a human being, but I ask you that you may cleanse me from my unrighteousness and use me so that your word will come out alive and the challenges to effect changes in our lives. We ask these blessings. We ask also, Lord, that we may have peace in this place. And your angels will be surrounding us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Since uh, 2010, since 2010, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the Seventh-day Adventist Church has adopted this, uh, this uh, uh, slogan or this uh, calling that is Revival and Reformation. Even there is a website, revivalandreformation.org, where you can go and find several resources and uh, Bible studies and Bible uh, readings and uh, other readings from uh, Ellen White's writings and all of that. And there are, there are, there are tips there uh, for you to how to memorize scripture. So it's a very resourceful, resourceful website. And the church has uh, used this theme throughout these years, since 2010, as a way of trying to encourage people to put God first. Because if you remember, two weeks ago, we, we had this message that was called God First. And we talked about making God a priority in our lives. That early in the morning, before we set our eyes on anything else, we spend time reading scripture. We spend time praying. And it doesn't have to be a two-hour Bible study. It doesn't have to be one hour. It can, you can start with 10, 15 minutes. You can start with 30 minutes if you, if you have. If your day is too busy, that's what we talked about last, uh, two weeks ago. If your day is too busy, you just start it a few minutes earlier and you'll be able to do this. And once you do this, 
you will go through the day and the Lord will help you remind whatever you studied earlier in the day and help you apply that throughout the day. You don't have to take my word for that. I encourage you to experience that, to experiment and experience that for yourself. And then last week we talked about this wonderful gift of God. That God, when God is first in our lives, Jesus will be first in our lives. Jesus will be first in our relationships. And that this wonderful gift that God gave us of salvation in Jesus Christ. And today I'd like to follow up with that. The message is titled, Signs of Revival. And what exactly are we talking about? Well, I was looking at the word revival in the dictionary, uh, on the dictionary, and here are three definitions of revival according to the dictionary. One is an improvement in the condition or strength of something. An improvement in the condition or strength of something. Another definition, the, the same entry, is a reawakening of religious favor. That's what the, the dictionary says. And another definition, a restoration to bodily or mental vigor, to life or consciousness, or to sporting success. So those are some of the definitions in the dictionary about revival. Basically, the idea of revival is to, well, revive something. Something that may be not as lively as it used to be, to improving that, reawakening that religious favor, reawakening the flame that was once ago, once uh, lit, but now maybe is dying. That's what revival is all about. And all throughout, throughout human history, God has been quite intentional. He has been active in human history, trying to make it clear to human beings that He looks for a strengthened relationship with you and me. Well, right after the fall, right after Adam and Eve sinned, God came and God said, Adam, where are you? God was looking for Adam, even though Adam had just disobeyed what God had asked him not to do. He had just done. God came after him and said, where are you? And then we see there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that God delivers the very essence of the gospel. When God says, uh, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. After the flood, we see that God came once again and talked to Noah. And God put up in the sky a sign, a visible sign for everyone to see. One sign that was confirming the unchangeable nature of God's character. God made a covenant with Abraham. It was His everlasting covenant that was confirmed right there. God acted in human history to renew, to confirm, to revive His covenant with men and to reconcile humanity to Him. It was so with all the examples I gave. It was so with Moses. It was so with David. It was like that with Solomon. But by the same token, God has also sought that His people would renew a relation, their relationship with Him. All throughout history, God has reaffirmed His part of the deal. But He would love to see us take advantage of all the promises that He has made. And it makes sense, doesn't it? 
that God having ratified his commitment throughout history, he's calling his people to a deeper relationship with him. He's calling his people to a deeper spiritual experience and a renewed commitment to live with him, to live totally, totally for him. It is a true revival of our relationship with Him. That's what God is looking for. And God has called people to have this deep relationship with Him. Noah went through this amazing experience where God called him. God looked around and saw that Noah was a righteous man. And God made a covenant with him. And Noah went through this experience of being, having his life and the life of his family preserved while in the ark. And he was a preacher. The Bible calls him a preacher of righteousness. He preached righteousness. He lived out this righteousness. It was so with Moses. Moses was called by God. He, was, he went through this experience where God called him powerfully in the wilderness. Something he had never seen. He saw a bush burning but that would never be consumed. And he came around to see and God called him out and said, I have something special for you to do. You are being called to deliver my people from captivity. The call to revival and reformation has been issued through prophets like Elijah, like Elisha, like Isaiah. It has been called through, has been issued through kings like Josiah. John the Baptist called for spiritual revival and reformation. As he anticipated the coming of Jesus. The first coming of Jesus. The disciples were led to, to this experience. And this opened the door to receive the Holy Spirit in its fullness for the proclamation of the gospel. And then, then the greatest of God's action, uh, uh, the greatest of God's actions in human history so far has been the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Jesus became one of us. He became one with us. He became one to redeem us, to restore us to His own image. And this special action of God could be summarized in two Bible passages. And I want you to follow with me. Come with me to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This one passage and the other one we're going to read summarize very well this wonderful gift of God and the purpose of Jesus having come to earth. So Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 6. And the Bible says, God who at various times... And in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Whom he has appointed heir of all things. Through whom also he made the worlds. And then in verse 6 pointing to the birth of Jesus. The Bible says. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world. He says let all the angels of God worship him we do well worshiping the lord for his birth we do well worshiping the lord for his ministry we do well worshiping the lord for having died on the cross given his life for our salvation for our redemption because the angels did so 
And then in Galatians, a few books back, in the book of Galatians, chapter 4 and verse 4. Galatians 4, 4, the Bible says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. This text says, when the fullness of time had come. When the world was drowned in darkness and spiritual confusion. When Bible prophecy pointed out to the time when a man born of a virgin should be anointed Messiah to confirm his covenant with many, as the book of Daniel says. When it was the set time, according to prophecy, that Jesus would come into this world to be anointed and to die. It is within this context that the Bible says, God sent his son, born of a woman, born according to the law. And it is within this context that I'd like to invite you to go back with me now to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. Which is the scripture that was read this morning by Sister Sheila Fernie. So Isaiah chapter 40 and verses 1 through to 5. And I want you to invite you to follow with me as I read from God's word again. Isaiah 40 verses 1 through to 5. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This text is saying, comfort, yes, comfort my people. This has been God's intent all throughout history, ever since sin came into this world, to bring us comfort, to bring us hope. To bring us deliverance. Comfort my people. Comfort my people. And that's why Jesus came. Because Jesus came to bring comfort. He came to speak comfort to Jerusalem. He came to announce that the warfare was ended. He came to announce that the sin, that sins and iniquity would be pardoned. He came to proclaim and to live out in his life redemption. Because the Lord, instead of paying back because of our sins, it was giving us blessings and double. Jesus came to save us. And the voice of one crying out in the wilderness was preparing the way of the Lord. Making straight in the desert and a highway for our Lord. Because every valley should be exalted. And every mountain and hill brought low. And the crooked places made straight and the rough places smoothed. Because the glory of the Lord would be revealed and everyone shall see it together. In the New Testament, John the Baptist, right there in the book of John. John the Apostle wrote about John the, John the Baptist in chapter 1 and verses 19 to 23. John 
chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. Uh, the gospel according to John, John the Apostle, describes the ministry of John the Baptist. And he says that John the Baptist was out there preaching in the, in the desert, in the wilderness. And now, verse 19, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites for, from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. John was preaching. He was preaching righteousness. He was preaching the gospel. He was preaching repentance. He was preaching redemption. He was preaching the kingdom of God. And the leaders, the spiritual leaders at the time, sent uh, Levites and sent people to ask him. They sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. And they come around and they ask, who are you? And uh, John the Baptist steps forward and he says, I am not the Christ. I want to make it clear right from the onset. I am not the Christ, if that's what you're thinking. And they say, uh, so who are you then? Are you Elijah? And he says, no. Are you the prophet that the other prophets spoke about, that God spoke about? And he says, no, I'm not. I am the voice of one crying in the desert, in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. He was using the words that Isaiah had used many centuries before. In the book, The Desire of Ages, page 135. In the book of Desire of Ages, Ellen White writes this. Anciently, when a king journeyed through the less frequented parts of his dominion, a company of men was sent ahead of the royal chariot to level the steep places and to fill up the hollows that the king might travel in safety and without hindrance. This custom is employed by the prophet Isaiah to illustrate the work of the gospel. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. So this is what Isaiah was referring to. This is what John saw him, John the Baptist saw himself doing just before the coming of Jesus, just before Jesus would initiate his ministry. John was out there uh, bringing up the valleys, making them high and bringing down the hills so that the way would be smooth for Jesus Christ in, uh, to go out and perform his ministry. That was John's mission. That was John the Baptist's mission. And in fact, that's what John said in response to the question, Who are you? So think about this. People asking, ask him, Who are you? And after denying that he was not the Christ, and saying that he was not Elijah, and saying that he was not the prophet, he says, You want to know who I am? I am out there leveling the, the ground so that, so that the Messiah may come and perform his ministry. I'm the one who is crying out in the wilderness. The one who is making straight away 
for the Lord to come and exercise his ministry. So this is who John was. This is not only his mission, but this is who he was. He was a servant of the Lord. This was his mission. This was his passion. And his mission became who he was. Just like the shepherds. Someone was mentioning to me last week. Just like the shepherds. The shepherds became the very first missionaries. As the angel came and told them that today in the city of David. A savior is born. And they went there. And they saw the baby wrapped in cloths. And they couldn't contain themselves. They went out of there like the first missionaries. As the first missionaries in history. And they went out there preaching. And talking about Jesus. That the Savior is born. The Savior is born. The Savior is born. And the Bible says in Luke. That everyone who heard the story. Everyone who heard them say. What the angels had told them. And how they witnessed and testified. That the angels were saying the truth. Everyone who heard that story. Was amazed. At that. Everyone who hears the story of Jesus. Will become amazed. How God. How God. Jesus Christ. Was willing to come down from his throne in heaven. And take the form of a human being. And live as a human being. And and tread this guilty sod. That you and I tread upon. And he was willing to do that because he had a mission, a mission to save. And the shepherds and John the Baptist, they were doing no more than all those who were touched by Jesus Christ ended up doing. Jesus would heal people and he would say, don't tell this to anybody. Jesus would bless someone who would say, you go around, you go out, but you don't say this to anybody. Keep it to yourself. But they could not contain themselves. They could not get out of there fast enough to share the news. To spread the word that Jesus the Messiah has healed me. He has blessed me the Son of God. But there is something else. I want you to come back with me to Isaiah chapter 40. There is something else that the text says. And I want you to keep this in mind as well. Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 to five. And I will I will read these verses again because I believe right in here there is something that is that should be right at the base of revival. You know when we talk about revival, something some people think, well, uh, a revived church is a church that is uh, uh, that sings, you know, uh, very lively. A revived church is a church that does this or does that and this and that. And all of those are not necessarily revival. They may be the signs of the revival. But revival is something that has to come from within. Revival is something that has to come from inside out. And here in this text of Isaiah, I believe there is something that I, would, I really would like you to take home. And to cherish this and meditate upon this as we prepare to enter into the new year. That you think about this and think about renewing your relationship with the Lord. So the Bible says, Isaiah 41 to 5. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare, warfare is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand 
double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain in the hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem only once. And then he lived on this earth once. And then he performed his ministry for just about three and a half years, just once. And then he went all the way to Calvary. And he died on the cross once and for all. But that's not the end of it because he came back to life. He rose again and he is now living. And he is now living forever. But now... The one Jesus Christ that was born of Mary back in Bethlehem. He wants to be born in you. He wants to be born in your heart. Just like we heard this past week here in Jennifer saying, Be born in me. Be born in me, O Lord. But before Jesus can be born in your heart. Before Jesus can be born in your life. You must, just like John the Baptist, prepare the way of the Lord. You must exalt every valley that there is in your heart. And you must bring low every mountain in your heart. The soil of your heart must be level that the Lord can be born and exercise His ministry in your life. And if you allow the Holy Spirit in His power to touch your soul, then human pride will be abased. Any desire for power and position and control will be of no worth. None of that will no longer control your thoughts. To prepare the way of the Lord in your heart, we will do what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. 2 Corinthians 10 5, Paul says, Casting down imaginations, casting down every high thing, that exalts, exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to be the obedience to the obedience of Christ. This is exactly what Isaiah is talking. Now no longer in regards to the valleys of the hills of Judea. No longer in regards to the valleys and hills of Jerusalem. Now Isaiah is talking to you about your heart. That you must be humble, that you have to allow the Holy Spirit to abase our human pride. And to take away any desire for position, for power, for control, for anything that is human and debasing. To prepare the heart of the, your heart for the coming of the Lord, Paul says, cast down imaginations. Cast down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bring into captivity every thought. To the obedience of Christ. That Jesus Christ can find a place in my heart. And be born in me. This must happen. That Jesus Christ can be born in you. And help you lead a life that is successful. That is plentiful. That is joyful. That is blessed in 2020. 
You must allow the Holy Spirit to level the ground of your heart. This is the work of the gospel. This is the work of the gospel. Everything else we see as the church gets closer and closer closer to Christ. As each individual person in the church revives and renews their commitment to the Lord. We'll see signs. We'll see signs of of that revival. But we are not so much interested in the signs. We are much more interested in the revival itself. Because one might pretend to do something that is supposedly coming out of the heart. But maybe it's not. But when Jesus is in our hearts. When our hearts are prepared and the Holy Spirit is working. And we allow Jesus to be the king of our lives. Then things will be different. We'll see service for the Lord. We'll see people willing to work for the church. Just because they love to do it. We'll see people be willing to serve the Lord. And be willing, being willing to serve others. To serve fellow human beings. When Christ is living in us. We'll see people in the church not being easily offended by anything. Wow. Think of Jesus. That's one of the marks of the Christian. Not being easily offended. Think of Jesus. He was beaten. He was spat on. He was flogged. But nevertheless, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. When people are revived in the church, when we are truly revived through prayer, through Bible study, the church will be desiring the good and well-being of others, of one another. The church will move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll have a church that could see 3,000 baptized in one day, as on Pentecost, or maybe 30,000, or maybe 300,000 baptized in just one day, because there is no limit to the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll become a church that will be welcoming to strangers, a church that will be welcoming to those who look different from us, a church that will be made up of faithful believers who will hold on to the truth no matter what. People who will not make any relativization of biblical truth. The truth is the truth. It's not my truth. It's not your truth. It is what the Bible says. And a church will be made up of believers who will be willing to depend on God. A church made up of believers whose beauty will not be depending on their looks. On anything they put on the outside but a beauty that's coming from a quiet and gentle spirit a church where everyone outside the church will be able to recognize that there are signs of revival in that church but at the very bottom of it at the foundation of it all lies a revived personal relationship with God like I said I don't know if I said this actually, but I should have. That I heard the testimony of two people uh, just this past week. Of two people who have decided, you know, to set their eyes on scripture every morning before they do anything else. And they were telling how their experience has been positive. To dedicate time to read the Bible. Dedicate time to prayer. Dedicate time to personal prayer. Not only corporate prayer, but personal prayer. We need to be in a constant attitude of prayer. But we also need to set aside special times 
when you go to pray. When you go quietly and maybe we go to our bedroom, maybe we go to a special place in our home, maybe you don't have a place in your home where you can have peace, depending on how and maybe with people you live, you don't have a special place where you can pray. But the Lord will help you find a special place for you. The Lord will help you find a special place in your mind, if it need be, where you can connect with God and be there in your personal relationship with Him. We need to read the Word. We need to pray. We need to be in connection with Jesus. John the Baptist was out there crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord when Jesus came for the first time to exercise His ministry. But now Jesus is coming again, isn't he? That's what he said. I will come again. He's coming again to put an end <clears throat> to the misery of this world. He's coming again as the final act of God in reaffirming his everlasting covenant with his children. Jesus is coming again and you and I have been called to join in the privilege of preparing the way of the Lord for his second coming. Just like John the Baptist. But no longer for the baby of Bethlehem. No longer for that itinerant preacher. Now we are going to prepare the way. For the one who was once a baby. Who died and is now living. The one who is to come. And the one who will come. When the world around you. When the world around you. Asks you. Like as they ask John the Baptist. Who are you? What are you going to answer? Are you going to answer, Well, I'm a Canadian citizen. But they will ask you, Who are you? What exactly are you? And maybe you will say, Well, I'm an engineer. But they will continue to press and ask, Tell us about you. Who are you? Why do you say these things? Maybe all you can see is, uh, I'm a common person. I'm not different from anybody. What will, you be, what will be your answer when they ask you, who are you? Are you going to say something like John said? I am the one. I'm one of those who are preparing the way of the Lord. I'm one of those who is looking forward to beyond the problems of this world. I'm one of those who has the hope of the second coming of Jesus. I'm one of those who believes that things are not going to be like this forever. Who are you? So I'd like to ask you now to close your eyes. Because this is between you and God. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or to come to the front. I'm just asking, to, asking you to close your eyes. And if it, if it is your desire... To renew your commitment. To go through this experience of revival. That starts and comes from within. If you want to spend time in scripture. If you want to spend time in prayer. So that things will look radically different in your life going forward. And again I see you don't have to take my word from it. For it. You can take the Bible's testimony. The Bible's witness for it. You can take your own experience because the Lord is faithful and He's never going to fail you. So if this is your desire, the Lord is looking from on high and He can see, He can read your mind 
And he can see that you're making this commitment now to him. If this is how you want it to be. And so as you think about this. And as you decide to renew your commitment to the Lord. And as you decide to spend time in scripture every morning. As you decide to spend time in prayer. Those are two simple things that you can do. Through which the Lord can talk to you. Through which the Lord can communicate to you. The Holy Spirit can impress your mind with certain truths in the Bible that maybe you haven't come across yet. And if this is your desire, with your eyes closed, I'm going to offer a prayer for, for you. The Lord knows the decisions that are being made now. The angels in heaven are taking notes because the Lord is sharing with them. And they are going to be commanded by God to help you throughout the end of this year and next year as you renew your commitment to Him. Heavenly Father, here is your people. Here are those, Lord, whom of all the places they could have gone this morning, they came here. And we come here, Lord, because we're looking for a deeper experience with you. Here is your people, Lord. We all come from our baggage. We all come from, with our burdens. And we want to lay them all down at the feet of Jesus because we can't carry them ourselves. Oh Lord, in exchange for that, we'd like to be able to enjoy your peace. A peace that you can give us that is unlike anything else we have ever experienced. But Lord, we also recognize that you are calling us to a special relationship with you. Lord, you are calling us to go beyond what we have experienced so far. And so, Lord, this is our desire. You can see the desires of our hearts. You can read our minds. And we commit to you, Lord, your children here today. That we may go into a renewed experience with you. That we may learn from you. That we will allow the Holy Spirit to straight the paths of our hearts. Straighten the paths of our hearts. That the Holy Spirit, Lord, will level the ground. That Jesus will be able to ride as the King of glory in our hearts. And take possession and control of the throne of our lives. This is our desire. May we live fully and totally for you. And please, Lord, send your angels to remind us throughout the course of the following days, following weeks, months, and year, that we have made this commitment today. And may they encourage us, and may you give us strength that we will not be discouraged. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.